Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. All right, so we're going to be in the book of James, chapter 4. Okay, so you can flip there, turn there. We're going to go to verse 1. But before we do, there's a few things that you have to know. All right? God loves you. I want you to remember that. God loves you, and Christ died to save you because you needed saving. All right? God knows that we need saving. God knows that we are not perfect. If we were perfect, there would be no need for Jesus. And the reason I say that is this is going to be a chapter. If you thought the rest of the book of James was kind of rough and kind of pointed some things out in you, this chapter is like very hard. It's very serious. And if you don't have a good foundation of grace, you know, you're saved through faith. Um, by grace, through faith, it is not of your own. If you don't understand that, as we get into these verses, it might mess you up. And I don't want you to leave here like questioning your salvation and, and all that stuff because some of these verses are hard. The other thing is that this book was written by James, Jesus' brother, to believers, to scattered believers, the diaspora. They were, they were most likely Jewish believers predominantly, but scattered all over. And so this was written to believers. So what we read here. This is for us who believe. So if you believe in Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, this is for you. Okay? So now let's get into it and let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that your word is good. I thank you that your word is life. I thank you that your word, your scriptures point to Christ. And Lord, that same spirit that inspired James to write these words, we pray that and clarity about your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 4, verse 1 is where we're going to start. And so let's just go into it, and um, I'll try to be gentle, but James is not very gentle, so it's just kind of the way that is. Verse 1. So remember, this is written to believers. What causes quarrels... And what causes fights among you? That's how he's starting this off. This is two believers. Do you know that it is true, even though it's sad, that even in a church, even in a church like this, like these were, these were believers that were from Jerusalem. Some of the people that this was written to might have actually seen Jesus with their own eyes. He might have touched some of them and healed them. They might have listened to the Sermon on the Mount, like, like those scriptures that we hear Jesus talking to. They were predominantly Jewish people, and some of them were probably the recipients of this book, this letter. And so he's writing this. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights? It's sad, but you can have a fight in the church. You can have quarrels even among the best people. Even the lovebirds back there, I'm sure there's times that they can quarrel. We've seen, I've seen it in churches. I've seen it too often. I remember there was a mission trip that I, 
that I heard about, and we went down to do in Mexico some, some construction work on a church, and there were these, um, this guy who was an electrician, and he came down there to like help wire up the church, and there was another guy who was just one of the most handy people in the world, and, and he could basically build anything or fix anything, and they're down there on a mission trip. Like, I want you to picture this. They went there for Christ. They went there to serve these people. They went there to do the hard work that, you know, they didn't even go there to preach. They went there to do the kind so that the church could gather. Like, that's what they were doing. And in the midst of that, they started fighting. These two guys almost came to blows. One of them was like, well, that's not how you do it in America. And the other guy was like, it don't matter. There's not really rules here. Let's just get it done. And then they, they, these two men, believers, almost came to blows on a mission trip. And so it doesn't matter whether it's a church made up of people that actually saw Christ, whether it's a couple of Christians who have been married and have followed God for a long time, or whether it's people on a mission trip, like quarrels can happen. And James is calling it out. He's saying, what causes those quarrels? What causes those fights? He's going to answer. He says, is it not that your passions are at war within you? Anytime there's a fight, anytime there's a quarrel, it's coming from our passions. That word in the Greek is, is similar to where we get the word hedonism. If you know what hedonism is, it would be like somebody that is all about pleasure, all about like feeling good and doing things that feel good. And it's, it's those desires for pleasure that come at war within us. And it's interesting because it's hard in the Greek to know, is he talking about the pleasures that are at war within our own hearts? Or is he talking about the pleasures that's a war within a group of people? But when you're in a fight... When there is a quarrel, may this remind us to stop and say, what's wrong here? Because in every quarrel, there's probably something wrong on both sides, and it's this desire for pleasure, this desire to serve. Two, I told you this is hard. I told you the foundation is grace. Verse 2, it says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. This was written to Jewish believers. It's interesting, as, as we as murder of your heart, where you hate your brother, and, and the, like hating someone and calling them a fool is, is the same as like murdering them. Or is this, was it written this way? Because even within Jesus' 12 disciples, there was uh, zealots. Zealots would have been Jewish people that were zealous for their homeland and they were kind of like the resistance. They were resisting Rome, and it was a war, and it wasn't uncommon for them to fight. Were they murdering people? It's hard to think that they were, but this idea that there can, there can even be that spirit, even if it wasn't a physical murder, but that spirit in the church of murdering people, of taking out your anger on somebody else, it says you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. In other words, you want something, you want it so bad, you can't have it, so you're just fighting, you're arguing, you're quarreling. And then he goes on to say, you don't have, 
because you don't ask. Verse 3, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Let's, let's go back to verse 2 for a second. It says, you don't have because you don't ask. He's talking about prayer there. You know, isn't it true that we don't ask God sometimes? We can go about our whole days, our whole lives, and we don't even ask God. We don't petition God. We don't humble ourselves before God. We, we think we're strong enough, and we think we're wise enough. It says you're not even praying anymore. This was written to believers, and how many of us, we don't ask? Maybe with finances, and we haven't even asked God. I could tell you, like I was thinking about this verse as, as I was preparing for this week, and I was like, do you know how much good it would do for most of us in this room to just go away for an hour, just you and the Lord? Just take your Bible, shut the door, and just have a heart-to-heart -heart with your Savior to just pour it all out, just to pray. You know, the reason I said just an hour is because sometimes we do like that, you know, kind of the canned prayers, all the prayers we think we're supposed to say, and we get those all out, and that's like 10, 15 minutes. But what if you just sat there and spent some time and began to ask God for what you need? Maybe you wouldn't quarrel. Maybe you wouldn't be trying to get it yourself because he'd give it to you. Verse 3 takes it even a step further. He says, you ask, but you don't receive because you ask wrongly so that you can spend it on your passions or on your pleasures. Think about that. Have you ever thought about the fact that sometimes our prayers are not answered? because they're not coming from the right place. Like we're praying about stuff, but we're praying about it out of our own passions and not out of God's will. Like maybe you're praying for a financial blessing, and maybe even God wants to give you a financial blessing. But maybe deep down in your heart, that financial blessing is just to fulfill some passion of yours. Like my son was talking, he was like, Daddy, when I get older, I'm going to save my money, and I'm going to get a Jeep. I'm going to get lights on it, green lights, and, and big tires. And, but I'm going to save my money, Dad. I know it's going to be hard, but, but I'm going to work hard and save money. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's a desire of an 11-year-old. 30, and that's all you want from your life? Like, you're missing something. Not that you can't have a Jeep. Go get a Jeep. I don't care. Get green lights. Get, I'm just like, I want a Jeep. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't want a Jeep. I'm saying if that's the goal of your life, if like that's what you're seeking more than anything else, I wonder if it's selfish. I'm just wondering. I'm just asking a question. Verse 4, he says something really hard. Verse 4, it says, You adulterous people. That word is in the feminine, you adulteresses. And I think what he's making a comparison to is, 
is how they would talk about how, how we're the bride of Christ and we're called to be spotless and holy and, and for him in this kind of feminine way, but we're cheating on him. Maybe not all of us, with the, but a lot of us are, are cheating on him. At least that's what these people were doing. He's saying, you're adulterous. You, well, and how do I know it's talking about God? It's not just talking about spouses, because the next thing it says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God or hatred? The picture here is of God's church, because this was written to believers, right, the diaspora, of God's church, God's people, falling in love with something else that is going to be united with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and him looking down and seeing her or us in the arms of another. I don't know that there's anything that causes more pain than seeing someone you love wrapped up in the arms of another. But he says, friendship with the world. That's a hard, that, that's hard. Being a friend of the world is enmity with God. That's, that's like hatred. When we become a friend of the world and the world's ways, it's, it's literally hating God. It says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I'm not saying you can't be friendly with people who are not Christians. I'm not saying you can't be friendly with people in the world because certainly we should be friendly. I was trying, I was reading this a few weeks ago to my kids. We read the whole book of James together and we would stop and we talked and, and they had some interesting questions. They're like, so we can, can, can we not be friends with people who are not Christians? And I was like, no, you can be insofar as they're not doing worldly things. For, and, and I gave them this example. Forgive me, it's not the best. But if somebody invites you to go play golf, go play golf. Enjoy that time. But if you know they're playing golf and smoking crack, don't show up. All right, that's a ridiculous example, but it gives you the point, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, if you know that, hey, it's not just that we're going out to have friends, but we're going to go out and then they're going to have some weird stuff going on. And I can't be a part of that stuff. So be friendly as far as you can be friendly. As much as they are a human, like, be friends with that person, but when they participate in works of darkness, like, I can't go that far. I can't be a part of that. It says if you make yourself a friend of the world, you're making yourself an enemy of God. I don't want to be God's enemy. Verse 5, it says, Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealous? Hardest verses to translate in Testament. The Greek is very tricky, and he, he's saying something in this verse. And, and what I believe the meaning is saying is that God's Spirit is within us. And that spirit yearns for us, like he's jealous for us. 
And if you are in Christ and God's spirit is in you, then he's constantly yearning. He desires. He desires you. And so why, when he desires us so much, do we put ourselves in the arms of another? He yearns. Verse 6, he says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you get anything out of this message today, even if you somehow forgot the rest of what we just talked about, how quarrels come from our own evil passions, verses 6 and 7 and 8, I hope sit with us. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Man, if you realize today you can't do this, if you realize you can't stop quarreling, if you realize you can't deal with the world, you don't know how to stop being friends with the world, if you realize that you're broken and that there's nothing good in you and you humble yourself, man, that's when God begins to give you grace. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 is, is it's a powerful verse. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit. That, that's not a word that we like to hear, but it's saying that you recognize someone has more authority than you. And you've decided to play, like, to listen. That he has authority and then resist the devil. A lot of us are trying to resist the devil without being submitted to God. You're trying to deal with temptation on your own. You're trying to deal with your problems on your own without submitting, without truly humbling, without saying, you know what, you are God and I'm not. I submit to you. And then I love this, it says resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you are submitted to God, when you have, when you have put your life and you've said, you know what, um, you're king, and I'm not Jesus. See, there's a few different ways, even in this book, that we relate to God. We talked about he's our friend, God being a friend, someone who shares something with us. That's good. We talked a little bit ago about him being our bridegroom, us, us being united with him in this kind of spiritual marriage at the last days. But right here, it's talking about kingliness, in submission. And when you're in submission to God, that's, the devil doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He will flee. Like, that's a promise. And so if you, if you wonder, man, the devil's all over me. Everything's coming against me. And, and he's not fleeing from you? Well, back this scripture up. Are you resisting him? Maybe. Are you submitted to God? Maybe. But it... But it it's a promise. It's something you can hold on to. It's something that when your world falls apart, you can say, you know what? God, I submit to you. I humble myself and I, I choose not to go the way of the world. The way of the world is under saying two things, no to God and yes to Satan. You might not say that with your mouths, but your heart is saying that. My heart says that. 
anybody's heart who does that. Verse 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. That's why I said some of us could do a lot, of, a lot of good could be done from getting alone with the Lord for a time. Maybe it's not an hour, maybe 15 minutes, maybe it's two hours, I don't know. But what I'm talking about is somebody that submits to God and then draws near to God. Have you ever been so hungry for God that you just had to pray? Or has it been a long time? that you just had to read his word, that you just had to come to his word and let it speak to you. Draw near to God. And the promise is he'll draw near to you. Because, you know, if, if we just take a step back and think about it, he sent his son to die on the cross. He wants us a heck of a lot more than most people want him. And if you just draw near to him, which might mean prayer, which might mean getting on your knees, which might mean apologizing, which might mean worshiping, which might mean reading your Bible, which might mean like confessing your sins to someone. I don't know what it is, but if you draw near to God, the promise is he draws near to you. Do you want God in your life? Would you like to know what it is to walk with God and talk with God and, and be led by God? The promise is if we draw near, he draws near. And then he goes on, and I'm telling you, that's why I said the foundation of this chapter, you got to remember grace, you got to remember mercy. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. This was not written to the world, it was written to believers. These believers were fighting, they were selfish, they were jealous, they were proud. And James is saying, cleanse your hands. You know, yesterday I was working on my car, and I, I got super dirty, all kinds, of, all kinds of stuff. And then when I got in the shower, I had to scrub. You know, sometimes you take a shower, you're not even that dirty, you're just kind of doing it. You're just like, oh, it's time to take a shower. But sometimes you take a shower and you got to get the washcloth and the soap and you got to scrub and that, my hands feel baby soft right now. You know, you just got to kind of get in there and get all the stuff out. Why don't we do that with our hearts? Why don't when we get caught up in sin and, and maybe we're raging or maybe we're lusting or maybe we're hateful or maybe we're jealous or whatever our own sin is because we each have our own sin. We each have our own thing that we hold on to that messes us up. What if we really took that to heart and, and when we drew near to God, we were like, God, get this jealousy out of me. Get this covetousness out of me, God. I'm, I'm wanting, I just remove this. God, this lust, remove it from me, God. This anger or whatever our own brand of sin is. Sin is like cigarettes. Everybody's got their favorite brand, you know? And it's addictive. And it's hard to stop. But God wants us to cleanse us. Cleanse your hands and then purify your hearts. Augustine says, you know, where God commands, he provides. Something along those lines. This idea that there is grace for you to have your heart purified. You can't do it yourself. It's a work of God. But he's calling us to that, to purify your hearts. 
is kind of going really hard. Aren't you glad it's not just me saying this? You'd be really mad at me, but I'm just reading the Bible. It says, you double-minded, having your mind set on two things, playing for both teams. Imagine if, you know, I like to watch the NBA. Imagine if you had a guy out on the court and he's just taking shots on both baskets. He's just out there and he's dunking on both baskets. He's stealing from both teams. And you're like, what are you doing? But, but we do that as believers. We play for both teams. We're wearing both jerseys. We can be double-minded. And then he says in verse 9, he says, be wretched. And mourn and weep. When was the last time that you mourned, that you weeped over your own sin? I'm not saying like out of guilt and out of shame, but because you know your Father. You know your God and you realize that it offends Him and it's, it's not pleasing to Him and, and whatever it is, and I'm not trying to say specific things, but we all know our own junk. And when was the last time you took that junk to God and you were just so broken by it that it was like you were mourning? God, how could I do that? I knew better. And weep. When was the last time you shed a tear over your own sin? I'm not saying you need to do that every day, but, but have, has it been recently? Have you mourned? Have you mourned the fact that you're not yet who God has called you to be? That you've learned so much, you've read so many Bible stories, you've been to church so many times, you've sang so many worship songs, and yet you still hold on to something, whatever it is. It says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That mourning and that weeping is temporary because joy comes in the morning. And when God sees the humble and the contrite heart, he draws near to you. And in verse 10 it says, if you humble yourselves, he will exalt you. It's almost like a little kid standing on his tippy toes saying, look how big I am, compared to that same little kid being lifted up by their father and their father saying, look how big he is. Look how big she is. He exalts you. Having fun yet? I'm not trying to be too hard, but, but, but I knew this was coming says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Imagine how much good it would be in the church if we stopped talking garbage. Don't talk evil against each other. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only one judge, and it's not you. I just added that in there. There's only one law to judge your neighbor. Do you see this picture? 
These people are quarreling and fighting. And James is saying, where does it come from? It comes from your own passions. Get it right. Cleanse your heart. Cleanse your, wash your hands. Purify your hearts. And then stop judging each other. Because it's like each of these people had something wrong in themselves. And rather than turning their eyes inwardly and saying, God, forgive me, this is not right, change this. They turned their eyes outwardly and said, but she's worse than me. He's got the real problem. And they put themselves in a position of the judge heard to judge you. Allow God's spirit to bring conviction. Verse 13, we're going to read a little bit more. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For your mist that appears for a time and then vanishes, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's this idea of people who are self-sufficient making their plans and being so confident in themselves that they don't have to trust God because they are smart enough. They've done it before. They've made money in other cities. They're going to go to that city and make money. And he's saying something so powerful in verse 15. He says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Now, that should be the attitude of your heart. Man, if God wills, I really hope this takes off. If, if God wills, if it's God's plan, isn't it even how Jesus prayed when he was going to the cross? He was like, I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want to do this yet. Not what I will, what you will be done. And what if you were planning to do something, but, but instead of just telling God what you were going to do, you said, God, I'm thinking about going to this city. I think there's an opportunity there. And if you bless me, I think it'll work. That would almost be like you're humble. And it would almost be like you're in a place where God could exalt you. Because really, what is our lives? You know the sad part? But we got we to own this. In, let's say, 70 years, very few of us will be remembered. Very few of us will be remembered. We'll be to show for others instead of trying to please the one that will remember and that will judge us. Verse 16, it says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Boasting is evil. Being proud is, makes yourself an enemy of God. In verse 17, it says, So whoever knows to do the right thing and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That should just like hit all of us. What that's saying is if you ever know what to do and you choose not to, you're sinning. I told you at the beginning that the foundation for this chapter was grace. It was mercy. Remember, Jesus died for a reason. 
But the fact that he died should tell us something about sin. Sin is a horrible thing because Christ had to die a horrible death. God was not pleased with sin. He was not happy with the sin in our lives, so much so that his own son had to die. But the cross tells us something else because not only did he die, not only was sin bad enough for Christ to have to die on a cross, but God is strong enough. We know that because Jesus didn't stay dead. And we participate in both. We get to participate in the grace of the cross. But we also get to participate in the resurrection. And the resurrection and the lifting up. But if we want to be lifted up, we need to bow down and humble ourselves. We're going to end right now. Would you stand with me? I know this week was heavy, and I, and I, we're not getting around it, but I, I've been praying this whole morning for you guys. I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying for you in your houses, I've been praying for you on your ride over here, and I've been praying for you as you've been in this building, and my prayer was is that somebody in here would know what it is to be made clean would know the joy that comes after, after repentance, would know what it is to bring your, your, your junk to God and for God to take it from you and cleanse your heart. Would you close your eyes just for a second as the music plays? Just you and, you and God right now. If there's been sin in your life, I don't say it judgmentally I say it because that's what happens to all of us if there's been sin there's been dirtiness impurity and you recognize it and you want forgiveness I'm going to challenge you now to bring that to God begin to pray right where you're at, to begin to confess your sins to him. Just to begin to tell him, say, God, I've seen this and I've, I'm sorry and I don't want it there, but just to pour your heart out, to repent, to humble yourself. If you can't stop, just tell him that. Say, God, I'm too weak to eat. that if you draw near to God he'll draw near to you if you humble yourself he will exalt you Holy Spirit Heavenly Father Jesus Christ Son of God we come before you we each bring you our hearts You know the darkness. You know the sin. You know our weakness. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Purify us. God, we humble ourselves. 
can't do this, Lord, without you. We need your grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that Jesus paid the price for my sin. Thank you that my sin is forgiven in Christ. And thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the resurrection that that I know you can change me by your grace because Jesus is alive. You can make the dead live. And we bring all the dead parts, Lord. And we'd ask that you'd help us to live. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for undeserved favor. Thank you that you love us even when we're unlovable. Thank you for the calling. Thank you for the drawing. Thank you for your mercy. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name, Lord. You're worthy of our praise. You're our Savior. You're our salvation. We thank you, Lord. We bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know that was a little tough. If anybody would like prayer, my wife and I will hang out up here. If anybody would like some prayer, you're welcome to come, and we'd be happy to pray with anybody. But would you look around the room and tell somebody that you love them? And that God loves them. And if they're feeling beat up right now, say, hey, God loves you. <laughs> There's grace. Have a great week. Hey, guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>